Hey, Socially Distant Sports Bar fans, welcome to the Socially Distant Sports Bar. I want you guys to be thinking about helping your friends out and changing their lives. We love having all of you on board as part of the Socially Distant Sports Bar crew, the Distant Pod listeners. You guys mean a lot to us. We would love it if there were even more of you. And if some of your friends headed in our direction, that would make us super happy. The best way of getting people involved in the podcast, I think, is to send them one of our pint-sized Distant Pod episodes because they're a bit shorter, a little bit less time investment for them, but it gives them a pretty good idea of what it is that we do. If you've got a mate who you think will really enjoy the Socially Distant Sports Bar, that is one of the best ways of selling it to them. If you could do that little bit of work for us, we'd be very, very, very appreciative. And then pick whatever your favourite episode is, or maybe a best of. Pick one of the best ofs. There's about five of them on there, and just send that over to them. Hopefully, they will see what you see in the podcast and maybe aren't put off by the word sport in the title, as an example. If you are not a subscriber, you are not a true believer in the podcast. I'm not sure that's the right phrase. Head over to Spotify, search for the Social Distance Sports Bar Extra and subscribe there. You will get uh, a load of extra content. You get a second round of clips every single episode. When we do an episode with uh, a guest, you get half an hour's extra. So there's half an hour of Sam Warburton that you haven't listened to that is waiting for you. There is about 40 minutes, I think, of the Kate Mason episode that is waiting there for you. If you have a little bit more money to spare and you want to listen to us talking about movies, uh, head over to patreon.com slash distantpod. There's a four quid a month option. There's a six quid a month option. There's an eight quid and a 10 quid. Uh, the eight and 10, you get Michael Owen's Movie Club, which is us every single month talking to you about a movie that we have watched, okay? Because Michael Owen never watched any movies. I think he watched six in his life, so that's the idea for the title of that. If you wish to be so generous, it would be great to get you involved in that. Those are always about an hour long, and we talk about a different movie every single month. Sit back, relax, and enjoy part two of this week's Socially Distant Sports Bar. Documentary time on the socially distant sports bar. So in keeping with our Women's World Cup special, uh, I've chosen this one from Disney+. Plus. It's a series. It's called uh, Matilda's The World at Our Feet. If we win the World Cup, that would just be everything. I wouldn't feel for a very long time that I needed anything to fulfil me. Now we have a World Cup at home. Like, it honestly doesn't get much better. It's pretty awesome. I hope Australia is a part of the change in women's football for good. 11 games. That's what we got before announcing the World Cup roster. That means we can't waste one single minute. The countdowns and all the hype has kind of made me realise we haven't got time to waste. 
it's my job yeah. to pick the best team available. Move the ball, move the ball. As an athlete, you always have to be at your best because someone's coming up through the ranks to take your spot. I wanted to be a mum for so long. It's just taken my life to a whole new level. The main thing now is inspiring that next generation. Like, literally the most sexist thing you could say, not equal. All we've really been fighting for is the same respect. Ellie's one of the only players on the team that's irreplaceable. It's the biggest blow that we could have taken. Why now, you know? Perhaps Australia's best chance for a shot on the goal. Do you expect to keep your job after this? No one really truly understands the life of an athlete. This is the bravest team I've ever worked with. I'm so proud of you. It's there for We fight till the end. So it's about the Australian women's football team. And they follow them behind the scenes. So the World Cup's being held in Australia and New Zealand. So they haven't got any World Cup qualifiers as a result of that. But what they then have is the opportunity to try and build the game. And this is sort of a a difficult behind-the-scenes documentary in a way as a result of that because there's a lot of non-competitive friendly matches and a lot of trying to build the squad depth and not overstretch your star players, but also trying to build up the crowds. So early on, the manager has a meeting with the people in charge of the Australian Football Federation, who obviously have their opinions on playing against the best teams in the world. He wants to do a level of that as well. The players, you've got the dynamic of a lot of them living in Europe and therefore almost permanently being fucked, exhausted. Yeah jet-lagged and never quite able to stop playing football because of the way that the seasons land. Mm. Yeah. And it's, it's, I think it's one of the more fascinating docs I've watched recently just because of the different dynamics at play. Trying to build a sport in a country where it's not the top sport, trying to build an audience for themselves, but also trying to put themselves in a position where they could win a World Cup on home soil. And, you know, for context, you know, they finished fourth in the Olympics and that was only, what was that, 2021? So the Olympics for women in football is not like the men's game, so it's not under 23s, that's the full teams that go out there. So, so they are, it's not an unrealistic aspiration mm. yeah. as well. I, I, I don't know, what did you guys think of it? I, I just, I really enjoyed it as a whole series. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I knew of Sam Kerr because of her playing for Chelsea mm. and, but I didn't know much about her story. I just knew about her goal scoring. And what I liked about Sam Kerr was she's a very, very likable person. But in the first piece to camera she does, she said, you know, I didn't take school seriously. I wasn't interested in school. I was actually asked to leave in year nine. And she laughs her head off. But she's had an amazing life and an amazing career. It's a hopeful story for children who don't get on with school and who mm. think the school is a little bit of a waste of time because... She does take her football immensely seriously and as a kind of discipline when it comes to her football that I imagine her biology teacher or her geography teacher wouldn't recognise. But she's such a competitor. Mm. She fucking hates to lose. I really like that. I really admire that. 
Mm. And yeah, I also knew they were one of the better teams. It hadn't clicked to me. Obviously, they're under enormous pressure, like England were with the women's Euros. You know, home tournament, when you're one of the top teams, you are just expected to win. Or you're certainly expected to go deep in the Mm. tournament, which is what people say now. And um, they, is that the phraseology? That's the Go that's. I've only heard it in the last few years, but that's well, what, like that's it, what yeah. Pundit said. And yeah, he's got a reputation for going deep in a tournament, is what people nice. say. I like that. And the, the difficult thing with hosting is that you don't play competitive games in qualifying. Yeah, and that I think for the manager of a national team, whether it's men or women, that's a really difficult thing to to try and. It's a difficult problem to solve, because they because they're not the same friendlies. No. And even though you try and take them seriously, it's just not the same. I enjoyed it. I, there were there were bits that grated on. It's a, it's a very root one as a doc, but I mean I think it that's is sort of because it's a serialized doc. It's not the sort of it's not a sort of cinematic doc. So I, I get that it's, it's more yeah you know there's parts to it. I've only I've only had time to watch part one. I will watch the other part. Yeah, I only want to see what was the manager. So there's there's bits that piss me off though, man. I've got I've got to say it. Good, go on. Calling themselves Matildas all the time really, really pisses me off. Why? Because it, it, it kept saying like South Korea versus Matildas, the USA versus Matildas, you know, China versus Matildas, India. Versus Ma- You're not Matildas. Your name isn't Matildas. You're the Australian women's football team. Or call yourself, just call yourself Australia. It's fine. I get that you. I get that you have got a nickname, which none of the players use, by the way. If you listen to it in the huddle, they nope. go Aussies, Aussies, Aussie, Aussie yeah. on three, well, Aussie, or whatever. Yeah. They're not talking about playing for the Matildas to anybody. So mm. do you remember when like women's foot it that's just smacks of, of it being what's the word I'm looking for? Like a novelty thing. Do you but I think they they've got that with all their sports though, because they you know they refer Soc- to Socceroos. They don't say Socceroos versus USA. They, they, they might call them a Socceroos. I don't know, I think they do. And do you think that Tim Cahill calls themselves a Socceroos? I think the press I, I think the press do. I think the media do, yeah. I think because they call them the wallabies and the Cowboys. And they can call them the, the Matildas in the press all the time. Yeah. You know? But even like with all, I think the most famous, it never, it never says Cricket all blacks against England. It'll say New Zealand versus England. I don't know. So don't know. the Matildas thing is, is like when women's football was seen as a bit of a novelty when I was a kid. Yeah. And there were teams like the Brighton Bells, right? Yes. Yeah, the Doncaster Bells. Doncaster Bells, sorry. Yeah. And I just thought, eh, let's just, just call them Doncaster. Brighton. Yeah. yeah. I know what you mean. Lionesses is the other one. I think Matildas is a shit nickname. Terrible name. The Waltzing I think Matildas. It's a shit one. The, the, the one yeah. reporter even calls them the Waltzing Matildas. Does he? Yeah, right towards the end of it. I was like, what the fuck? So that annoyed me a bit. Yeah. The second bit, that I, it was good as well, but I want to put the two, the two things that annoyed me. No, no, I, I, I The Matildas thing annoyed me. The other thing that really gets on my tits, and you, you touched on it there, Al, right? About with, with Sam Kerr, right? Talking about how competitive she is. Yeah, I get it. When they're there talking, saying, think about Aussies, mate. We hate to lose. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's ingrained that's, in us. Yeah. Never yeah. say die. That's, it's inside our shit over our heart. Never say die. That's an Aussie thing. No, it's not, mate. There's no other. You're not playing against fucking Korea and they're saying, oh, we'll just say die. We do. We just. We, <laughs> yeah, we always say. <laughs> uh, I'll say it's, die. It's a Korean thing. We just say die. We just roll over. If it gets hard, we stop. We're known for our say die attitude. <laughs> when, the, when, the, when the going gets tough, we tend to. Yeah, well, yeah, 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 it's fine. We, what happened? We went 2 2 nil down. We thought, oh, fuck it. I'm not doing this. Yeah, it's an Irish thing. We just tend to quit. <laughs> exactly. It's a German thing. We, we don't walk off the pitch. We just scale it down a bit. Yeah, yeah. It's just a French thing. It's hard, isn't it, lads? It's hard to <laughs> If you're playing at the top level in any sport, don't matter if you're man or woman, right? Then you've got our never say die attitude. Otherwise, yes. you wouldn't be there. 
It's such an Australian thing, isn't it's it? Such an Aussie thing, mate. When it gets hard, we just... I don't like things being hard, so I tend to quit. It's just a Portuguese thing. We just refuse to lose, mate. We just lost three... You just lost three nil. I just watched it. Just lost three now. <laughs> Refuse to lose. I watched you lose. <laughs> I've just seen That's you why lose. you're being interviewed now. You're really upset about it, do you remember? Yeah, I you hate lost. losing, mate. Yeah, we all hate losing if you're playing sport. Yeah. That's not... You should hate losing. Yeah, I agreed. But Australians do have this thing in their heads. They think they're the only people that are competitive in the world. Yes, they Fuck do. off, will you? It's an Aussie <laughs> thing, mate. We never say die. Oh, fuck off, mate, will you? Fuck off. Good. You're competitive. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's in us, mate. It's part of our national makeup. No, it's not. Because <laughs> you're from all over the world, you liars. You haven't got you. You're like as big a melting pot as the United exactly. States are in terms of cultural influences. Or anywhere else these fucking days. I want to get I want my shirts made like with somebody over the chest inside just saying, just give up. <laughs> We just had it stitched in behind the badge. Yeah. How hard does it feel? Well, it was only about a four or five minute section of the dock. And it is a good dock. Fascinating. It's fascinating to see that side of it. Do you want to come and see the Socially Distant Sports Bar live? Of course you do. You're listening to the Socially Distant Sports Bar. You like the Socially Distant Sports Bar. Maybe you've seen us before live. Maybe you came to our theatre tour. Maybe you came to the International Arena or maybe you've been to one of our um, recordings that we've done in London. We did a cracking one a few weeks back with Gordon Smart, which will be coming out as an episode very soon. We are doing a live show in November. Um, it's part of a festival called The Cheerful Earful. Do you see what they've done? Clever. Is it the Clapham Grand on Saturday, November the 4th. It's 2.30 in the afternoon. Which means that after we've recorded, there will probably be some beer action as well, I would have thought. Uh, maybe not from me, but Michael definitely have a beer with you. If you want to come and see us live, there is a link in the episode description for this episode. So have a look on your phone, click on the episode description, and jump on board there. Click on it, buy yourselves a ticket. If you are a Patreon or a Spotify extra have a look on the Patreon app. There was a message that I sent out to you guys or have a look on the Patreon Facebook group. There's a message on there with a code that gets you the tickets for cheaper. We've also tried to cut the costs on this one as much as we can. So we work with the guys at Cheerful Earful. They are a cracking bunch of people. So the costs of this show are less than the shows we've been doing recently. The ticket prices are low. We're taking a bit of a hit, I'll be honest with you. Look, we could say it's super high, and then make it not affordable for you guys to go, or we're just taking the mickey out of you guys, and we don't want to do that. So we've dropped the prices on this one. So compared to the other cheerful, earful ticket sales that you might see out there, our prices are very low. They've helped cut us some costs as well here and there. So thank you to those guys, but this is as cheap as we can go with a ticket, okay? So it will probably increase as time goes on. So if you don't buy them now, come September, we're probably going to have to hike the prices up. Okay, so we're trying to do you a favor. I hope. Anyway, we're trying to we're trying to make it fair. That's the phrase I'm looking for. We're trying to make the ticket prices fair. So, if you look on the episode description, there is a link there. Go buy yourself some tickets. Saturday, November the fourth, two thirty p.m. at the Clapham Grand. We will see you there. It's fascinating to see because they're not. Multi-millionaires. Yes. They, they seem more relatable to me. So when, yeah. when Sam's living with her, with her girlfriend and they've got a flat in London, that seems 
I can relate to that. I've been lucky enough to see the new Wales kit for Euro 2024, should we qualify? And it Send actually says, Gore Chware, Keat Chware, and Quit. So they've just, they've just slightly, <laughs> <laughs> they've ever, they've ever so slightly yeah, changed yeah. the uh, the badge. You say that, I've just had a thing from the um, FAW ticketing app, because when we're recording this is I've sort had, of, I've exactly the, 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 the asking yeah. me how my experience was at the Wales-Armenia game. Of the Wales-Armenia game, yeah. Do, right. <laughs> Sit do down, man. Really do you really want you. the reply? Because <laughs> I can fucking tell you what my experience was. But what a baby fan of your shade I attitude, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> that hasn't worked out well for me. Aussies do that a lot. Like they, they, they always think that they're. I get they're a sporting nation. They are a sporting nation. They, they, oh, they overachieve yeah. for the size of the nation in lots of sports, right? Yeah. Has the cricket team got a name? But it now? doesn't mean. Uh, just on the baggy green, greens. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't shame. mean more to Aussies to win. And they don't want to win more no. than anybody else. In no. fairness to the Aussies, though, mm. when you think about their sports, mm. they do overachieve. Oh, they do. Oh, they're yeah. good. Yeah, they do. They're good. Big fucking place, man. Particularly, I would say, in cricket and both rugby codes. Yes. Great um, climate. Everyone's quite near the beach. You've got, you've got a yeah. real cross-section of sport. They take sports seriously. Smash the shit out of the Olympics. Yeah, yeah, they're good athletes. Because it's a because a bit, a bit like the US, because it, it is such a melting pot of nationalities, they sort of all rally around their sporting teams as well. That, that's, a, that's a, yeah, you know, it's a thing, isn't it? Yeah. That binds them. I think I mentioned this on the podcast before. So I would need an Australian person who went through the Australian schooling system to let me know if this is true. But I remember watching something on British kids telling it must be Blue Peter or something like that where they were taking kids at primary school and testing them on their running and their sprinting and their throwing yeah and basically saying right well you're nine years of age how much do you hate you have enough but yeah (laughs) (laughs) loads get over there you're on the Aussie team there you go you're Australian you have an aptitude and a flair for discus if you'd like to take that further you can do, we'll train you here and you can, there's a blah, blah, blah. And so they were basically taking, almost like a Soviet system. They were looking at kids Good. and said, well, you're clearly, because you're so tall, you're obviously going to be great at basketball and long jump. So like do, vitamins. Do you, fa- do you, vitamins do you fancy? And it was, whereas I remember watching that as a kid, as a teenager and thinking in the UK or in Wales, mm. you play it. And if you decide that you want to play it, you play it. And then you're hoping that a, a scout sees you. Yeah. yeah. And it just seemed to be a far more scientific, rigorous way of getting the best out of what is still quite a small population. I don't know if that's still the case. Or you're doing shot put to get the day off school yeah. because no one else is doing shot put, which I admire yeah. as well. Yeah. as a decision. I'm quite a fan of that. Weirdly, for a big country that is banging at a sport, I'd be interested to see what it's like with the football and women's football, how it, how it, how it breaks down. If you live in Western Australia... Mm. You might, no, sorry, so the one that would be, so Victoria would be mostly Aussie rules, exclusively Aussie rules. And then yeah. Queensland and, and New South Wales would be rugby union and rugby league, maybe league more in Queensland. You know, this, it's quite, cricket seems to be everything and for men's sport now. It seems to be the whole of the country, yes. it seems to be cricket. I wonder yeah, how it breaks down with the Aussie game, with women's football. So Ali Carpenter, uh, who's the blonde Aussie player, yeah. who moves to Lyon. She's really refreshing yes. actually when she says, I can't believe how small it is, Europe. Yes. She said, yeah. like, I can get on a plane in an hour in a different country. And So yeah. what it does is, is it, if I can just briefly talk about rugby and briefly talk about Wales in, in our Australian mm-hmm. women's football documentary, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah It absolutely. makes a mockery of things like the 60-cap rule, where you look at countries like Australia. Because not only is the oh, country absolutely. massive, 
It's a four or yeah. five or six hour flight from coast to coast. Those players to make a living have got to go and play in the USA. They go and play in France. They go and play in England. And they come together to play for the country. Again, sticking with your rugby example, there's a player called Liam Williams who plays fullback for Wales and for the Lions. He's going to Japan to play, but he's perfectly able to play in the Six Nations. Of course he is. It's, it's not a problem. When Hadley Parks did it, it was a problem. Yeah. Or Corey Hill can't Ridiculous. do it. You didn't stop picking Gareth Bale when he went to Real Madrid. Well, no, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sorry, Gareth. You go, you, Sorry, Gareth. You've got to play for TNS Solutions. Newport County or nothing. <laughs> so the, the fact that they're permanently knackered as a result, what I hadn't thought of, Sam Kerr mentions it in one of the episodes, where obviously they're a bit tired when they get to Australia because it's, what is it? 27 hours. From, from Chelsea. 27 hour flights. I'm stupid. 27 hour flights between both the airports. So she's like, by the time, you know, first day of training camp, you can't Ten train. Ten hour time difference or whatever it is. Second day of training camp, you're fucked because of the time difference. Yeah. Third day of training camp, you get a bit of a session. And fourth day, you're playing an international match. Mad. Day after, training, cool, training, another match. Day after that, you're back on a flight. You're coming back. You're playing on the weekend for Chelsea again. That is brutal. So she's like, you're knackered playing international sport, but you're also triply knackered for your team because mm. you don't get a game off. Yeah. You just come back and you play. And I thought, oh, shit, I hadn't thought that you'd be then, you know, not as good for Chelsea as a result. So you're putting your career in jeopardy by playing international. Yeah. It is It is growing in, as a sport, though, because the men, are, the Australian men had a really good World Cup. They got knocked out by Argentina. Hmm. And when they were winning games in the group stages, and you would see cause the games were taking place at two in the morning, I think, in in Australia. Yes. You were seeing um, limbs in Sydney City Centre and stuff, mm. in Melbourne City Centre, when they were watching the games and they Australia were scoring. Amazing. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, if they do have a good tournament, mm. it'll be huge for the sport over there. But, yeah, I mean, playing international sport and cross, yeah. cr- crossing the world. What, so, looking through, looking through tough. the current squad, going through all the players here, you've got one, two... Four, five, five of a 30-player squad that I've got here actually play in Australia. The rest of them are all either in Scandinavia, uh, England, France, or the USA. Yeah. So all of them are having, your, your, the entirety of your squad is having a shit mm. and time that, before and they turn up. That would be the best ones as well. I thought yes. I felt sorry for watching this is when Kerr broke Cahill's record. Yes. She got fucking... Berated in, the, in certain times the press for it. By Robbie Slater. Well, he's he used a, to play for Blackburn when they won the league. Well, he's a knob. Because. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because as a player. Oh, wanker's trick. To as a player, you can only. It's, and it's a, it's a cliche. You can only play against who you're playing against, right? Mm. You can only score goals against. No one looks at a, a, at a, at a, at a male player's goal scoring record and says, but who are you playing against? That never yeah. happens, right? What yes. are you playing in? Where, where do you score the goals? It's just, just yeah. there's, there's my goals. I couldn't tell you yeah. where. Harry Kane scored his goals. I couldn't tell you where, you know. Well, he, there's there's no brackets behind the ones he scores against Gibraltar or the ones he scores against exactly. Argentina. But I think what you do occasionally see that. I think with Rooney and Kane, they will compare the goals he scored against Lineker's goals or Greaves's goals because the yes. theory is that now because of international friendlies, yeah. you end up playing worse teams. But. Tournament football, you wind up playing bad teams. Yeah. And if you look at Greaves and Lineker's goal, an awful lot of home nations games. Yeah, yeah. Against, exactly. to be honest, Which, as, as much as I hate Bad Wales this, teams. Bad Wales teams yeah. and bad Northern Ireland teams. Yes. But because the women's game is is growing and it's in that period where it has to 
you know, there's an awful lot of catch-up to play for mm. for lots of reasons, right? But almost none of which is down to the women players, right? But if you're going to look at like a so that after that uh, Asia Cup, right? Yes. If you're playing a team that you can beat 18-0, then the tournament's too big. That that should be a two-tier tournament because it's not it's not the players' fault. You're going to score five goals and when you win 18-0, if you see the ball and you see the goal, you're trying to score. That's your job, right? Yeah. But then dickheads like what's his name Slater, Robbie Slater, see 18-0. And yeah. that's, that's something to hit you over the head with then, right? But the Australian men beat the South Sea Islands. They? they beat... Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the old qualifiers that they had when they were in the Oceania. 31-0 in yes. 2002. American Samoa. American Samoa it was, yeah. yeah. So they beat American Samoa 31-0 and yeah. the American Samoa goalkeeper had panic attacks afterwards <laughs> because he's, yeah. he just feels like he's humiliated his country. Just constantly waking up seeing Tim Cahill booting yeah. a ball. Yeah. But also England last night beat North Macedonia 7-0. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So you know, what are players supposed to do in that situation? You're, you're playing against you're playing against Indo- Indonesia, and you're all over them. Yes. Are supposed to, if you're Sam Kerr, I, I'm not going to score this. It's going to make us look bad. It's a bit later on where the manager gets accused of not being ruthless enough, <laughs> or his team not being ruthless <laughs> enough, and he goes, "We just beat someone eighteen nil." Why feel? I think we are ruthless. I feel so unfair in those situations because I remember England beat Latvia. I think it was twenty nil. Okay. But the the vast majority of those Latvian players aren't full-time. Yeah. Yes. Whereas the English women now are treated like the Premier League men. And so they're able to tr- train professionally and all that mm. kind of stuff. I would just hope it wouldn't put off young players in Indonesia from playing football. I, 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 don't, think, I don't think it's particularly healthy for them yeah. to see the team getting beaten 18-0. It's not the Aussie girls' fault. This is the genius of the Nations League. Mm. And I think I fans of the big countries... Don't get it. No. If you I are in right. pot D, yeah. that means you are San Marino or Gibraltar or Liechtenstein, um, etc. The the teams that Andorra is another one. Now, one of those teams used to be the Faroe Islands. The Faroe Islands are quite a good side now. They're just an organized team that's relatively difficult to beat. So they're in pot C, I think. Yeah. But it means that those pot D teams, the teams that that the bigger side would hammer, are now playing each other. So they, they, those games are competitive mm. because if you come from San Marino's got a population of 30,000 people, I mean, <laughs> of, course, of course they're going to get hammered by France yeah. and Spain. Smaller than Barry. Yeah. yeah, so <laughs> exactly. make them play Gibraltar and then that that is a meaningful contest then. Yeah, yeah. But again, what's interesting in this is they're trying to play, so they play the Asia Cup and it doesn't go their way. Apart from the 18 0 win, <laughs> they, they don't progress to the levels that they think they're going to in that. But then they organize all these friendlies and they've got these friendlies in Europe against Spain and Portugal. And the manager's sitting down and the strength and conditioning coaches are sitting down. And saying, Look, these players aren't going to get, a, if they play in these friendlies now at the end of the season, they're not going to get a break until after the World Cup. So we're going to have to not pick our best players. Mm. You're going to have to give the best mm. one thought. And they lose 7-0 away to Spain because, you know, they're, they're trying to test themselves, but they're also trying to blood new players. And that's oh, mad. Okay. That's a mad, di- all these dilemmas in international sports. The dilemma with international sport as well, and to bring the Welsh men's football team into it, is... Rob Page, after we lost to Armenia, said, oh, this is the sort of slap in the face we need. Unfortunately, it's not a 46-game season in the Championship. Yes. 
You've only got eight games. Yeah. Yeah. And you look at the Scots, for instance, and at time of recording, they've won all four. They're, yeah. you know, they're flying at the top of their group. And we've now played four and have got four points. You know, the kind of qualifying campaigns we had under Toshak, where it was a transitional team and you were looking to the future, you, you can't afford to use those to blood new players. That's what the Nations League is for now, mm. really. Yeah. So in eight games, you can't afford a blip or you can afford one. And we've now had two on the trot. And um, it's it's really hard transitioning international teams because there are so few games to play in as well. Because if you fuck up in friendlies, it affects your ranking as well. Like Coleman used to hate friendlies for that reason. So it's, <laughs> it's such a balancing act, which is why I love international sport. Because mm. also, if you've got a big hole in midfield or a big hole up front, you can't buy a good player mm. of Portugal or Germany. <laughs> You've got to play with what you've got. Does um, Tony keep his job? I'm on the. I'm, oh, you're not going to tell me. Uh, he's still the coach. He's still in charge. Of yeah, the Matildas. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I I like Tony. I like him. Yeah, he's honest. T- t- I like that level of enthusiasm on a touchline is really rare. I think in yeah. international sport, like hyping the crowd up, running up and down the touchline, and also giving what seemed like. Shit instructions. Yes, I know. I can't think of a better phrase than that, but what seemed like what I say to the girls I coach. Hmm. Yeah. You know, have the confidence. Well, I'm going to be asking this on Edgefoff in about two hours' time. Okay. Because my mate was sat behind Rob Page. Yeah. In the dugout for Wales, Armenia. Don't let it bounce. Yes. He, my friend, Ilted, coaches an under-12s team in South Wales. Yeah. And he says Rob Page was basically shouting the stuff I, used to, I shout. Yeah. But I find that interesting then, because I don't know if that's shit or not. And this guy does as well. He shouts, let's go. Man on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Don't let it pass. Go, girls. Keep keep running, girls. Keep running. Heads up. Heads up. Keep Keep running. Yeah, keep running. Yeah, well battled. Well battled, Pauline. Don't get stressed, Sam. Well battled. Don't get stressed. Pauline. (laughs) Just popped into my head. Tackle Pauline. He shouts, don't get stressed at Sam after she misses a chance. Well, I did that superb foul on Paul Woolacott in Jenner Park in 1988, which I need to dig out and show you because you were Yes. Wrong. Yes. His, his teammate says, well battled Paul. No, the manager says, well battled Paul. Yes. There you go. So that's where well battled yeah, Pauline came had, from. You turned into Pauline. That's really good. Yeah. That's so I was good. doing the Matildas, wasn't I? That's no off button on the junior switch. Also known as the Australian women's. <laughs> <laughs> the the Watson Matildas. The Watson Matildas. Yeah, I, I, I wonder. If you do all the tactical stuff during the week, mm. as a manager, substitutions, yes. Game plan alterations, yes. Mm. Bits that are going on you can't impact on at all. They probably can't hear you. Is a big well, well, you're talking to your fullbacks, aren't you? Or you're talking to your fullback, the one that's near you. But do you need to say anything? I don't think that stuff ever, hardly ever works. Are you just in the moment and you go, come on! Just encouragement, isn't it? Yeah, when you, that's when what you I mean. watch, is that it? I watched a boxing doc the other day. Very good. I'll probably pick it, right? Okay. Uh, bare knuckle boxing, weirdly. Yeah. But the, the two or three blokes in his, in his corner are shouting yeah. out instruction nonstop. Yeah. You can't possibly process all that. You can't process it even when you're back in the corner. No. No. Not as you've been punched in the face by a bloke who hasn't got gloves. Well, you are. You want me to do it? Ah, you want me to do it? <laughs> wait, wait, I can't hear you. Can you stop him? Can you stop him? I'm trying to listen to him. Yeah, he's trying to tell me something to hit you back. Wait, my time you wait. That is not fair. <laughs> you can hear your coach because you're not getting hit in the face <laughs> repeatedly. 
I just don't know how much of that stuff people ever take on board when they're playing. Although you watch Pep and Arteta, and they are communicating. Well, I think when you're doing when you when you're with little kids, you might have to say to them, "Stand here, do this, yes. do that." If you're a manager of an international side, yeah, yeah, like you said, formation, tactics, substitutions—that's all down to you. But they know the basics, don't they? When they're on. But also, you you can easily get confused as well, can't you? Mm. So if you're really trying to hear what's being said over there, you're not concentrating fully on the game. Mark him, Steve. Oh, fuck (laughs) it was. I've just walked two yards to hear you. Turn in the face. (laughs) Face up, face up, face up, face up. Goal. Use it. Use it. (laughs) Yeah. I I remember when I started. Man on. Put a foot on it. I was coaching my son's under sevens team. I think they were then. And we were, I don't know, maybe 15 mil. Send it. In this game. <laughs> and I went I went and just had a chat with one of the lads who'd gone in goals who wasn't particularly confident about being in goals. And I was like, don't worry, but that one wasn't your fault. And I just started chatting to him about it. And they scored while I was talking to him. <laughs> <laughs> and you went, you went, that one was your fault. <laughs> and I went, yes, yes, I yes, yes. Yeah, that one's on me. <laughs> I think I challenged then. I said, well, yeah, the other 14 were your fault, all right? So- <laughs> you yeah. dick. I'll leave you to it. In fact, what the rest of them are calling you, I agree. <laughs> you shit, mate. <laughs> you are. Boo! Your shit. I never say this, but I would quit if I was you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doors over there, yeah. mate. Just haven't got it in you, have you? Yeah. You just don't hate losing enough. You do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hate losing. Someone hasn't got any Australian blood in them. Yeah. I can see that. <laughs> Surely the people who hate losing the most are the ones who lose the most. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So because... sick, and, just sick and tired of it. Yeah. Because I am Sam, sick and Sam Kerr doesn't experience losing as much as perhaps I would. No. So I think I hate losing more than Sam Kerr does. Yeah, exactly. I think she likes winning. You've only lost I twice. I think there's a big difference. <laughs> I've lost loads. Yeah, I've lost loads and loads. It's like when so rare that, but you know, Joe, Joe Kazagi was that incredibly rare thing, an unbeaten world champion. Mm. So after he retired, at a fairly advanced age for a boxer as well, mm. every now and then, some young upstart would say, "Oh, Joe, he was too—he was too worried to—he was too frightened to fight me." Think to yourself, well, he's yeah. thirty-nine and he's never lost. He wasn't scared. He wasn't yeah. scared. There's nothing to prove to you, mate. He's almost forty and has got nothing to prove. You're Carl Frotch and you lost loads. You're running scared. Yeah. No, I'm just retiring. I'm retiring unbeaten. You were still very, very. Very good. Yeah. But he wasn't scared of you. I tell you what, mate. This is going couldn't off, be bothered. This is going off slightly the dark. Yeah. But that Chris Eubank Talksport interview, I'm going to pick because that's fascinating. Yes. Talking about his own son. That is a fascinating yeah. interview. It is fascinating. Chris Eubank Jr. Mm. Or, the, or his son who died? No, no Eubank, talk, yeah. Chris Eubank talking about Chris Eubank Jr. Yeah, that is fascinating. Really fascinating. Yes. So the dark, the, the only, so I enjoyed it. Yeah. I'd like to see it. It, it is pretty uh, water and all, which is good. I'd, yeah, I'd have seen behind the older, behind the curtain there, see what's going on. Yeah, music. I don't think helps it. No, the music is over important. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, but especially during so the game, the second game against the USA, where they equalised from a deflected shot. Mm. That's too arty for yeah. the rest of the style of the documentary. It's like platoon all of a sudden. <laughs> I was going to compare it to sort of the Zidane doc where they just follow him. Oh, mm. the Mogwai The Mogwai one, yeah, for, yeah. yeah. It feels a little bit like that for for about two minutes of slow-mo. Do I'm you like, know what, though? Just show me the goal, is it? 
I really like the players. I love them. And they yeah, did like have them. that relatable, down-to-earth Australian quality because they just... they The thing with the Aussies, of course, there are privately educated Australians and posh Australians, mm-hmm. but they're... <laughs> it's it's quite a down-to-earth country. That is a trait. They can generally say is Australian. That definitely is a trait. They can have that one. notice it. Yeah. Because when I would spend some time in Australia, I would talk to people, and then, then I would discover that they'd gone to the Australian version of Eton. Yeah. <laughs> like, really? And you're sat there in your shorts eating a hot dog. It's just sort of... Mm. Is that your... That's your go-to for the, the working classes... <laughs> Is sitting in shorts eating a hot dog. It was just, I don't know, it's just the, uh, yeah, it is It is a more classless country than the UK by a country. Oh, in, in many ways. Yeah, and I, <laughs> but I really like the players. They hate dying. And they hate dying as well yeah. in Australia. <laughs> I hate yeah. dying. They love life. Every day, dying. I do yeah. my best to avoid dying. <laughs> it's an Aussie thing. That's just an Aussie thing, that is. Because Wales haven't qualified, I will keep an eye out for the... Well, the Matildas? Eating, sleeping. I'll be watching the Matildas. We're a nation of sleepers. <laughs> quite lazy as a nation, actually. Yeah. I don't do very much. What's your go-to Australian accent? Well, I think, mate, I sort of tend to talk, tend to talk like that. Uh, I fail my HRCs. Okay. Work, work in Lassiters. Nice. <laughs> yeah, Lassiters. Good, good. I think uh, I'm a lot of fun to do sort of... Quite middle class Melbourne accent when you talk like this. That's good. Yeah, I work a lot with the comedy festival and nice. Yeah, I'm more sort of a summer bay mate, you know what I mean? Elf. I do a lot with um, kind of arts marketing. Um, <laughs> but also occasionally when I'm in the mood, I like to talk like this. Oh, fucking yeah. right, mate. I love to fucking get down and dirty with it as well, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> because being an Australian, I fucking hate to yeah. lose, okay? Murray! <laughs> got it written Wait on my. Yourself. Got a tattoo? Got it written on my shirt? I can't stand losing, mate. Fucking can't stand it. I'm fucking 100% Aussie, mate. I love winning and I hate losing. It's in me DNA, mate. Don't don't mind my father. That's the kind of person he is. Um, if if uh, I don't see very much of I'll never because... say die, mate. <laughs> That's quite an unreconstructed kind of old-fashioned Australian guy. We don't really see eye to eye anymore, but that's fine. I don't mind to lose. That's the thing. That's the, that's <laughs> You're the a disgrace in your country, mate. I think there's something quite charming about losing. <laughs> and that's why you're you and I'm me, because I'm a very, very different kind of person who loves to fucking win. <laughs> Dad's got quite a high blood pressure. <laughs> I've got the highest blood pressure, mate. <laughs> <laughs> None of that fucking 220 for 180 bullshit for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm scared of dying. Of course I'm scared of dying, mate. I'm Australian. <laughs> We're scared of dying. When Dad had the heart attack, it was the biggest heart attack you could have and survive. It was absolutely massive. Well, you know, good people. Good people. There's problems. Good people. Too. Good, broadly good <laughs> they people. They are good people. Good people. In Newcastle. If they like, if they are listening, hello, Bubbins is in Newcastle. Right, the book for this week, it, it was going to be your go, Mike. It well, was, but I've been too engrossed in Jean-Pierre Reeve. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. And as luscious as his hair is, mm. 
don't think he fits with the vibe of this part, no. uh, for this particular episode. Um, and I, you, you did, to be fair, ask me to read a book on women's yeah. football for the pod. Yeah. But I, I literally read like a book a book a year these days, and I'm into yeah. Jean-Pierre. If I stop that now, I won't finish it. It's, it's not doable. That's fine. Um, no and I was already reading a book with my daughter anyway, so I thought... Oh, there we are. Push this forward a little bit. It's a lovely bit of history and celebration, I guess, of women's football. It's called She Shoots, She Scores, and it's written by Catriona Clark, and the illustrator is Sarah Long. So... This book, is, it's got all the history bits about women's football condensed down but not dumbed down. So the bits that we were talking about years ago on the pod about Dick Kerr's ladies, initially, my daughter laughed at Dick Kerr's ladies, which I was very proud. <laughs> Good. So that made me happy. Uh, <laughs> the fact that that was in a book that she got to read. And I was like, and then it explains, you know, there were these factory teams and all the crowd numbers are in there as well. And, you know, as an eight-year-old reading this, it's blowing her mind. Yeah, yeah. There okay. were these, you know, teams during the war that were incredibly popular. And then it gets into the bit about them being banned and that sort of whole section in there. And that, again, completely blows her mind, going that people couldn't play football yeah, yeah. for a period of time. It's like, why? And it's got, yeah, it's got all this sort of, you know, stupid blokes kind of stuff within the narrative of the book, which is great. And that sort of works really well. And then it goes into what they talk about as being the first World Cup, which is interesting, which is the 71 one, which is a year later than the oh. clip I picked. So they go with that as being the first one that they sort of recognise. And how, how about this then? So there's a, there's a girl playing for the England team, and I use the phrase girl because she's 13. Bloody hell. No. And she's playing out in Mexico at the World Cup, yeah? And Class. So my daughter then immediately just goes, well, what about school? And then and then almost as if she's worked out in her head, she went, matches will be in the evening. <laughs> no, 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 she's in Mexico. She's probably got time off school. She's probably not doing school and then that. But she gets back to her school and the head teacher doesn't even at any point call her out on stage at assembly <laughs> for playing in the World Cup for England. In the 13. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. And the World Cup final that year, have a guess on, so Mexico-Denmark is the final in that one. What is the crowd for that final? It's either going to be 90,000 yes. or 140. 110,000. Shit, on the back of that one in 1970, there's 45,000. Yeah. Next year, you get 110,000. 110,000. The FIFA got to have enough of this, no, sure. And no one, no one, let them do it unofficially for a while, see what happens. That's mad. Absolutely bonkers. There's a group game between uh, England and Denmark that 80,000 people turn up to. Jesus. <laughs> so all this stuff's in there, and it's really well written. So my daughter's eight, and she's really enjoying reading it. But the construction of it, it's got all the stuff about Rose Riley who was the Scottish player that we spoke about. Oh, yeah, yeah. One of our episodes who plays for Italy because they've got a setup there that she can play for. And it just goes through all of the developments right the way up to the Lionesses winning the Euros. And it's just a, it's a really well-constructed book. And the illustrations are really nice in it as well. And if you are looking for something, if you have got a kid who's into football and, you know, they need to know a little bit more about the history of women's football, which I don't know a lot about as well. So it's really helpful for me. 
then get this one. It's, it, it's really easy to just do two pages a night and you yeah. kind of get through it really fast. And that's kind of what you want. So She Shoots, She Scores, a celebration of women's football by Catriona Clark and Sarah Long. Hope you enjoyed this week's Social Distance Sports Bar. That was part two. If you still haven't listened to part one, it's still available for you. Head back and have a listen. If you're new to the sports bar, go back to the very start. Be a completist. Work backwards, maybe. I don't know. Try and... What was that? Uh, Ellis and John always had retro oneers when they did stuff on Radio X. They were people who kind of joined later on and had gone back and listened through the whole canon. There are more than 160 episodes there for you guys. I was trying to think. No, none of them are time-sensitive. That was kind of always the idea, was that these things would be what they call in the industry evergreen content, bits you can go back and have a listen to whenever. So do it. Be a completist. If, if there are jokes on the Facebook fan page that you are on that you don't get, there's a reason for that. Head back and have a listen to everything that we've done. Yeah, I'd love to know. Get on the Facebook group or on at Distant Pod on social media and tell me when you started listening to the podcast and how many you've got to make up. Thanks for listening. Catch you again next week. <laughs>